All right, take your Bible and join me. Revelation 22. Revelation 22. We've come to the last chapter of the last book in what we call the Bible. But we're not through. This, this chapter is, is going to help us to understand a little bit more about heaven, but then it's going to focus its attention on us. And I think some of this is going to apply to who we are today and how we treat this book of Revelation. And I'll point that out to you uh, here in just a moment. But I'm sure most of us uh, over the years and even now, uh, we have shows on television that we like to watch maybe. And, and uh, of course, it, the new year doesn't start till what, end of September. And then you watch these shows up until uh, close to the month of May. And then all of a sudden, they do something and you're kind of left hanging. And then all of a sudden, those words come on that you hate. To be continued. And you know it's not going to be continued until September. But they let you know it'll be coming soon. You have to wait, wait. What's the outcome? Once we finish with the book of Revelation, you need to keep in mind it's going to continue. But the problem that, that many of us forget is this. Once we watch that television show, and it says to be continued, we don't know what's going on, and we don't know what's going to happen. But once we finish Revelation 22, God wants us to know it's going to continue, but you know everything that you need to know about what's going to happen when it's all said and done. See, He's not leaving us out. And he's not turning his back on us and just saying, wait, making you wonder, making you try and decide, is this going to be good or what do we do? We know everything we need to know about the end. Now, last week we talked about heaven. We talked about heaven, but it's, it's referred to as the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. The new heaven, God will expunge it. He, he's going to renovate it. It's all going to be uh, burned. It's all going to bring back uh, the newness of what heaven is all about. All of this is above us. This earth will be purged with a fire. It's not going to burn up. It's not going to be annihilated. It's not going to be incinerated. It is going to be purged. And this earth will be where we dwell as God brings down the new Jerusalem. Now, we saw that last week, how it was built four square, 1,500 miles, so much room for all of us. And that's what Jesus said in John chapter 14 when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember that? He said, then my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And that, that phrase, many mansions, basically means there's plenty of room. 
And I think when you think about how big this, this cube, this square is, there's plenty of room. You say, but there's millions and could be billions of people, and God's got plenty of room in the new Jerusalem. And he began to describe this new Jerusalem to us. He took us on the outside. Remember what we saw? The Bible says that there are 12 gates, and they're all made of one pearl. 12 gates. Then there is this great wall. The wall that lifts itself higher and higher and further and further. And and we see this, this wall that sits on a foundation. Twelve foundations. Different colors. Different stones. You know, basically what that says is, is that the... All we need to understand is it gives us the beauty of God in heaven. So many different colors. The 12 stones or the 12 apostles. The 12 gates. There's written on the 12 gates the name of the, of the children of Israel. All of the tribes, the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. 12, 12, 24, 24 elders all of the redeemed of all the ages. We will praise God. We will worship Him. And John shows us this as he shows us the new Jerusalem. Now God continues our tour. And as He brings us inside the wall, we have to pass through the gate. We come inside the wall and John steps inside. And what does he see? All of a sudden, he sees a river. And all of a sudden he looks up and and he sees trees and he's wondering within himself just exactly what is all of this that I see. It looks like a garden. A garden. A beautiful garden. Now last week I, I entitled the message, We Can Only Imagine. We can only imagine what all of these things that are written in chapter 21 are all about. And folks, you can only imagine what it was like in the Garden of Eden. We'll never know. But in the Garden of Eden, there was Adam, and God would come down and He would commune with Adam. And in Genesis chapter 1, when it said that God was going to make man, that He said, I will give him dominion over all the animals. And and He created the animals, and Adam named them until he could find no one that was like him. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Someone just like him, is what he said. And then he put a deep sleep on Adam, took the rib, and he made woman. They lived together in that garden, and they were not ashamed. Because God would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. How long, we don't know. But the beauty of the garden, the trees, the flowers, so pristine, so precious. No rain fell. All the moisture came up from the ground. Just like a a large dew that watered all of the plants and all of the garden. And there was Adam and Eve tending to that garden and seeing it. But we know the story how that man sinned against God when he chose to be God over the God that put him in the garden. Now, God takes man and he takes woman and he drives them out. And the scripture says that at the gate when he pulled, when he took Adam and Eve out of the garden, 
You can imagine they began to cry and to weep because they were leaving that garden. And when they left the garden, the gate closed and the cherubim stood with a sword back and forth where no one enters that garden again. But here, John says, I saw, look at verse 1, chapter 22. And he showed me, the angel showed me, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, if you read about Eden, you find that there was a beautiful river that flowed through Eden, but it broke off into four branches. And it names those four tributaries, those four rivers. A couple of them we can still find. Two of them we, we really don't know where they are. But here are these four branches that, take, that break off from this river that flows into and through the Garden of Eden. With those branches coming out. And the water continuing to flow. And here is John. And the angel said, John, this is the river walk. And I'm going to take you on, an, on a walk of the eternal river walk. Now, I don't have anything against the one in San Antonio and even the one in Oklahoma City. And San Antonio is a great place. And I've been on that river walk. It's hot. It's humid. And when you walk down there towards the river to go down to eat, it's even hotter and more humid, but not in heaven. We're, we're not going to give above 50 degrees when we get to heaven. See, that takes care of the humidity. And you're going to see me with a big smile on my face. And all you people that love all of this hot weather, good luck. He takes John and he takes him on a river walk. And as he begins to move down that river, he sees the beauty of that river. Because when you read about the rivers in the scripture, rivers mean prosperity. Rivers mean pleasure. Rivers mean the blessings of God. And when people would find themselves on the run during the time of the Old Testament, they would all, God would always bring them to a river. He did Elijah. He did David. He brought them to that river where they, they could enjoy and, and they could keep everything that they needed to serve the Lord. Here is this great river that represents our divine, eternal life. This river that flows with perfection. This river that brings us joy. This river that provides everything that you and I need. If you read in Ezekiel chapter 47, it talks about a river. But that river flows from the temple. It flows east. It flows, the, the Mount of Olives will be split. The river will flow through the Mount of Olives. It will flow down through the desert and it will go into the Dead Sea. And that Dead Sea, when that water flows out of the temple into the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea will come alive. You can read that in Ezekiel 47. The Dead Sea will all of a sudden be vibrant and pure, and golden once again. No longer is it going to be dirty and, and all the, the elements that are in there to take away the purity of that water. But this, this river that flows, 
The one in Ezekiel flows from the temple. This river flows from the throne of God. See, from the throne, the river flows directly down the middle of Main Street. Then John looks up and he says, I saw an oasis. In the midst of the street, verse 2, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This oasis is going to be filled with the tree of life. And when we read that, in the midst of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. And you say, well, there's only one tree of life. Folks, it's not talking about the number of trees. It's talking about the kind of tree. And the kind of tree is that tree of life that God put Adam and Eve out of the garden so that they wouldn't eat it and live in their sin. God had a plan for that. That's why he kicked them out. They can't get to that tree of life and eat that because that's how they would have stayed. And so God brings them out. Now for us, there, are, there is a tree of life. And that tree of life is going to, to grow down Main Street. I don't know how many. But everything that it says about it, 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 it bare 12 manner of fruit, yielded her fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's not going to have a season to grow. It's going to be perpetual growth. Every month, it's going to renew its supply of fruit on the tree. Then we get into this idea. Well, I wonder what kind of fruit. Well, I can tell you. There's chicken fried steak fruit. There's gravy fruit. There's fried chicken fruit. There's red beans and cornbread fruit. All the staple fruits that anybody would ever want are going to be on that tree. And I can say that because you can't prove me wrong. Because we don't know what kind of fruit. Fig, apple, orange, tomatoes. Maybe there's some good maters growing on them trees. Won't that be wonderful? We're going to be able to eat of that fruit. And it's that fruit that is going to sustain us and give us everything that we need to live that eternal life. The fruit will grow its, its fruit every month, every month. It will fill itself, and we will have those things to eat every month, and the leaves will bring healing to us, bringing to us all that we need as we live in this place called heaven. And then as he, as he speaks, verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Curse. The curse came. When Adam sinned against God, Adam was cursed. The ground was cursed. And then the last word of the Old Testament, you know what that word is? Malachi 4 and verse 6. You know what the last word of the Old Testament is? God said, I will smite you with a curse. Now, what about that curse? The curse that he's talking about are those that, that rejected the law. But for you and I, when we think about the curse, and he said the curse is going to be gone, we have to ask ourselves, where, what's going to take the place of the curse? 
What's going to do away with, with that curse? Paul said in the book of Galatians, he was talking about the curse that was to come. And in verse 13, he said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. See, there's no more curse because Jesus became the curse. And Jesus took the curse. And Jesus took our sins. And he took that curse away from us. So there is no more curse. And that's what it said. There will be no more curse because of what Jesus has done. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in this street, and His servants shall serve Him. You go back once again to Genesis. In Genesis 1, God said, let us make man. We'll, have, we'll put him in dominion over all the animals. He had work to do. And he had work to do, and Eve had work to do. We're going to work there in heaven. We're going to serve God. That's what it says. We're going to be of service to Him. What? I don't know. We're going to rule with Him. We're going to reign with Him. We're going to serve with Him. We are going to be busy. And we're going to eat the fruit and drink the water. And we're going to be around the throne of God. And we're going to live forever. Where? Verse 4. And they shall see His face. And His name shall be in their foreheads. That seems strange, doesn't it? His name shall be in their forehead. In Isaiah chapter 56, it speaks of this, this name that is going to be given. And God says, I will give them a name in that city that is an everlasting name. Now, what that name is, it's an everlasting name. That's, that's all we know. The name that he gives to us. Are we going to be called this name that we're identified here? It doesn't tell us that, but it tells us that we shall have a name, and it's an everlasting name. But the thing that I want to point out to you is this. Heaven is when we see His face. I want to see my Savior, first of all. You know who wrote that song? Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby wrote that song. Fanny Crosby didn't see anything from a little child all the way through this life. Someone asked her one time, don't you wish there was something that they could do to make you see? And she said, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to see in what you all have here. The very first thing I want to see is my Savior. And folks, the very first thing Fanny Crosby ever saw was the face of Jesus. Can you think of anything better than to step into heaven and see the Savior? Yes. Thank you, Lord. The trees, the water, yes. all of that. We won't even notice when we see the Savior. We'll see His face. We'll know Him. I shall know Him. And redeemed by His side I will stand. I will know Him. I want to see my Savior, first of all. There's no night there, it says in verse 5. You don't need a candle. We don't need the sun. The Lord gives us light. We'll reign forever and ever. Verse 6. And he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto us his servants the things which must shortly be done. Now, the, 
Verses 1 through 5 are an extension of chapter 21. So when you read chapter 21, you don't need to stop until you get to verse 5. And then all of a sudden, the angel says to him, Now, I want you to notice something. These are faithful and true words of God. So now, we had a continuation as we stroll over heaven. But now it's time to stop and listen. He would continue the experience of John as he communed with his Lord in the Spirit on that day. Revelation chapter 1. John said, and I was in the Spirit. And this is when Jesus came and began to show him everything that was going to come about. John says, all of this is trustworthy. All of this is true. His message comes from God that is the God of the prophets. And he tells the truth. The first beatitude that we read in the book of Revelation. There's seven of them. The first one that we see is in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed is he that reads, they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Blessed are those that read and hear and share the gospel of what he is writing to them here. This is the truth. This is the purpose of the book. This is why it's all going to take place. Look at verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Now there are some that base their idea about the book of Revelation on the fact that this took place during the time of John because he said he's coming quickly. And what we think of is just in a few minutes they'll be there. And so they think all of this was fulfilled in about 100 years. And so this is nothing but just uh, stuff that we read that makes us feel better. But that's not what he said. The word quickly that he uses there means certainly or suddenly. Suddenly, I will come. Certainly, I will come. And that's what he's saying to us here. Behold, I come suddenly. I come certainly. I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy. Jesus said, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shines unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, you know what that means to us, and what we think about is that, okay, I, I remember, I see lightning and it just kind of flashes, or maybe sometime it'll linger a big, long bolt of lightning, but it's, it's very quick, and, and so I understand what he's saying. But how many times, folks, do we see lightning coming out of the east to the west? Where do most of our storms come from? right over there, out of the west, out of the north. They come down to us. Jesus said, as the lightning that shines in the east to the west, you better be ready. You better look and make sure that you understand that I truly am coming. I am the one that has sent this. And he says it must shortly be done. Shortly be done. Certain that it's going to come. Sin came, folks. Now, I want you to hear this because we're fixing to move into this. Sin came when man began to doubt the accuracy of the Word of God. And when they began to doubt the veracity of the Word of God. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. And when this world began to doubt the things that God was saying and, and doubt the things that God wanted us to understand, then all of a sudden... We see our world begin to slip away 
Because we've turned ourselves away from the only true thing that we have, and that is the Word of God. Jesus said, I'm coming suddenly. You'll not know it, but I will come suddenly. And he tells John to keep watch over these books. The sixth beatitude, behold, I come quickly, blessed is he that keeps the saying of the prophecy of this book. That word keeps means to guard or to watch over or to preserve. But you make sure that you keep it intact. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. And he showed me these things. He said, don't do that. I'm your fellow servant of the prophet, uh, the brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of the book. Worship God. Now look at verse 10. And then he said to him, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. The time is at hand. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. When Daniel wrote all that he saw, what we saw unfold here in the book of Revelation, at the end of his, at the end of his book, he said, God said to him, Daniel, seal it up. Seal it up. Because nothing, nothing like this is going to happen until I can make, make sure that we, we come through everything that we need to. And now we will know. I really believe when, when he wrote this and said, don't seal the book. Leave it open. He meant for us as, pre, as people of God to take this book of Revelation and read it. And understand it just like we do the Gospel of John. Read it. Share it. Understand it. Get a grasp of it. We have taken to, the, to just taking this and kicking it aside because we say, I can't understand it. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit can teach you everything that you need to know. But we won't read it. Well, I don't understand all of this stuff. I don't understand it all either, folks. But we've got to read this book. And we've got to share this book. And let people know this isn't a farce. And it's not something that you see on TV or on some movie screen. This is the Word of God. And he said, don't seal it up. Share it. Tell these people. This is what's going to happen during this time. It's a warning to all of us, to every age. Notice something in verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But guess what that means? If you're unjust and filthy and vile... At an unbeliever, when Jesus comes, you don't have time to change. That's the way you'll be. You can't change. That's how quickly he's coming. And that is what solidifies and, and teaches us. And basically what he says, that he is warning us that the decision that you make now determines your character. And your character determines your destination. What are you going to do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? What are you going to do with him right now? Don't seal up the book. Tell these people. Notice verse 12. And I'm, behold, I come quickly. 
How many times does he have to remind you? Suddenly, I'm going to come. I'll bring my reward with me. I'll give it to every man according to his work. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about what have you done with your salvation? He will reward us. We've been through that. Jesus is the judge and remains the judge. And he wants us to understand rewards will come and give to us according to what we have done. And then he said, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Guess what the Greek word for that word end is? Eschatos. Guess what word we get from eschatos? Eschatological. The study of end times. The study of the end things. But yet notice this. Jesus said, I'm the beginning. I'm the end. If you want to go back to the beginning, come to me. If you want to be alive at the end, you better come to me. Because I'm the beginning. I'm the end of everything. He is creator. And he is the worthy lamb to be slain that brought to us our salvation and brings to us the unfolding of salvation that he gives to us. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then we come to the last beatitude in verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Now, that, that phrase, do his commandments, basically is not translated in the King James like it should be because that little phrase basically means, blessed are they that wash their robes. Blessed are they that wash their robes. And where do we wash our robes? In the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus has told us that all the way through the book of Revelation. We, we come with a pure robe washed in the blood of the Lamb. Keeping commandments, we do that. And when we do that, we wash our robes unto God. And the only access, folks, we have to the tree of life is by the blood of Jesus. That's how we get in. That's how we pass through the gates. It's by the blood of Jesus. And he's given us a message. And he tells us we can enter in and through when we wash our robes. And without our dogs, that's, that means the, the people with no morals. They're, scout, they're scavengers all over the, uh, the streets of that day. And they were not moral. It could, it could speak a ritual prostitution of those kind of people. And sorcerers, those who use drugs and magical arts. Whoremongers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Names them all out once again. These people will not be there. Blessed are you when you wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have seen my angel, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. The root means he was there, and David was born out of him. The offspring means that the incarnation came in Bethlehem, and he became the lineage of David. He is God, he is man, is what that's talking about. And he is the bright and morning star. And you know what that means? He's our only hope. The only hope that we have is in Christ Jesus. And so now look at the invitation that is given, and it's a mandate. And the Spirit and the bride say, come.
The Holy Spirit says, come. Through the church, come. What should be our invitation? Come. Come and know Him. Come and experience Him. And let him that hears say, come. Let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. He, Jesus, is the only way. The only way. We've got to invite people to Jesus. He's the only way that we'll get out of this world alive, folks. We can either experience a second death or we can live forever with Jesus. It's all up to you. But you've got to make up your mind and determine just exactly what you want to do. Your goodness isn't going to get you there. Nothing that you say, nothing that you do is going to get you there. Not not being raised in a Christian home is going to get you there. You've got to come to Jesus and you've got to experience Him. And we need to invite others to come. How did Noah get out of this world alive? God opened the door and said, come. Jesus said, I am the door. God opened the door and He's inviting us to come. Hadn't he? He invited me to come. I stepped in. He saved me. He invited you to come. He invites you to come. Even today, come. Come to me. Because one of these days, just like the days of Noah. You remember when Jesus said, such as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And some people think it's, it's talking about the wickedness. You know what it's talking about? He's talking about we're going to go through just the normal, everyday walk of life. We don't care. We don't care if the church is open. We don't care if anybody knows Jesus. We don't care about anything else. We're just going to go through and have fun and live our kind of life. And Jesus said, just like that. Because those people made fun of Noah for 120 years. God opened the door to that ark. He got Noah's family in. And I can just imagine Noah standing at that ark and people passing by and saying, Won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come? Some laughed and some paid him no mind. And God said to Noah, come. And Noah stepped back. And the scripture says, and God shut the door. When the rain started falling, guess what? Noah! Noah! He couldn't open the door. When God shut the door, it's over. When God shuts this door, we need to invite people to come. And then he said, I testify unto every man. Verse 18, that here's the word of the prophecy of this book. If any man adds unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. If any man takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. The tree of life basically is what it says. And out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. John is concerned for the integrity of the word of God. The integrity of the text that he's sending. And see he's sending that and he's writing this to the church of Ephesus. And all the churches throughout where where John served. He said don't take anything out of here. And don't put anything in it. Because folks when you try to explain away the truth of God. Or you try to add things to it so that it makes you feel better. You're doing nothing but deleting the integrity of God. And it is a total lie and deception. And God said, don't don't fool with my book. 
You just take what's there and share it. Some people may not like the fact that I love to just take this book and tell you what it says. I get it. I'm not much of a storyteller. I'm, I'm not much of, of trying to make up things. I just want you to know what's here. And you need to know what God is saying to you. And so he says to us, when you hear these people that start adding stuff and telling you stuff that's not in here, but they'll say, well, that's just what I believe, you better get away from them. Because if they can't pick up this book and show you what God has said, don't fool with it. Back away. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't you try to be God and play God. Because he'll take care of that. And some of us are doing that now and thinking, it's okay. I'll be fine because I can, I can talk anybody out of anything and I can talk my way into heaven. Here's something I want you to remember. You may be able to do that here, but when you step before Almighty God and Jesus is on His judgment throne, you're not going to be able to say a word except guilty. Guilty. Folks, I want you to know that Jesus that can take us into this place called heaven where we can drink of the water and eat of the tree and walk down the street and serve God and reign with Him and, and shout and rejoice in the presence of God and see His face. I want you to know that. But without Jesus, you can read the last verse of chapter 20. Cast into the lake of fire and hell and brimstone. What about you? If you don't know Jesus, I'm inviting you today. Come. Come. Take a drink. Take a drink. He's the water of life. Come. Will you come today? Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm inviting you to come to Jesus, the Savior, the only way to heaven. If you right now don't know that you've invited Jesus into your heart, you've never prayed and asked Him to forgive you and accept Him as your Savior, I want you to open your heart right now. I want you to pray with me this prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you. And you pray with me now. Dear Father, I know that I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I want you to get up and make your way here. I want to visit with you for just a minute. If you want to pray that prayer and didn't do it, just get up and come and say, Preacher, I want to know Jesus. I'm coming to Jesus right now. Just get up and come. Nobody's looking. And I'll meet you here. You need a church home by letter, by statement for baptism to unite with this church and say, This is where God has brought me that I might be able to serve the Lord here. Then you come. By letter, by statement for baptism, we work all that out. You just come and say yes to Him. Whatever God has placed on your heart, I invite you right now, come.
Father, in the name of Jesus, bless now your word. Thank you, Father, that is speaking to hearts even now. Give us the boldness to step out and say yes in Jesus' name. As we stand together and as we sing, I invite you to come. Come to Jesus. Come.